Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative, and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at www.nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Nakubo in Brief. I'm Megan Strand. Thanks so much for listening in. Nakubo has initiated a two-year project called the Economic Models Project with the goal of helping its member institutions navigate the changing dynamics of current higher education economic models. I'm joined today by Jackie Askin, who is Higher Education Economic Models Project Manager for Nakubo, and Bob Shea, Senior Fellow for Finance and Campus Management, also for Nakubo, to discuss the genesis of this project and its execution to date. Welcome, Jackie and Bob. Hi, Megan. Hi, Megan. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks so much for being here for both of you. Let's start out today, Bob, and I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about the board decision to authorize EMP. Maybe you can give us some of the rationale and and the goals of this project. Sure. It started at our annual meeting in uh, Indianapolis two years ago when our current board, uh, our then board chair, Mary Heron, who's the chief financial officer at Wichita State and the Kubo's president, John Walda, authorized the Economic Models Project in response to uh, the myriad of issues confronting higher education. Uh, Subsequent board chairs, Ron Rames and our current board chair, Greg Goldman at the University of Arizona, enthusiastically support the project. Uh, John uh, specifically mentioned the need for bold leadership in our industry because many of our institutions are on an unsustainable financial path. Uh, additional leadership comes from Mike Gower, the chief financial officer at Rutgers, who's the former Ecubo president and has been an extraordinary project champion for us. Uh, the reason the board uh, authorized the Economic Models Project it was in response to member institution needs and the reality that higher education was and is losing the strategic communication battle uh, around the country uh, based on uh, several characteristics. Uh, external stakeholders always talk about the value of college education. Is the return on investment of a college education still what it once was? Uh, the issue of tuition growth, uh, just using a compound annual growth rate of 3%, which is the average of the higher education pricing index for the last 10 years, means that there'll be a doubling of costs uh, over a 24-year period. So if we don't do anything, we're on this unsustainable path. Uh, addition, additional reasons why the board authorized this was there's something called cost shifting. Uh, over the course of the last two decades for public higher education, state legislatures have been reducing uh, the amount of money to higher education. And in replacement of that state appropriation, tuition and fees have been increasing. So there's the, the question of higher education moving from a public good paid for by the taxpayers pay- to a private good. Uh, paid for by the beneficiaries of that education, the folks who pay uh, tuition. Uh, other reasons, the, the pressure of constant fundraising for, for both public and private schools because the sources, the primary sources of revenue are, are tuition and fees uh, for public colleges and universities, their state appropriation, and then for both public and privates, uh, there's fundraising. 
Uh, in addition, there's auxiliary sources of revenues from uh, dormitories and food service and, and parking, but those are the primary sources of revenue. Uh, other reasons uh, with cost visibility in our organizations, uh, actually looking at uh, the cost of graduate education, the cost of undergraduate education, and the different uh, cross-subsidies uh, that are generated uh, in different types in colleges and universities. So one of the uh, things that we wrote about in uh, Business Austria magazine this past summer uh, in a double issue in July and August where we had our soft kickoff for the Economic Models Project, we quoted from a New York Times op-ed written by Frank Bruni uh, in which he eloquently described the challenge facing uh, American higher education. Uh, and he said, and I quote, and it's dangerous to forget that in a democracy, College isn't just about making better engineers, but about making better citizens, ones whose eyes have been open to the sweep of history and the spectrum of civilizations. You know, that's a long-term view, and I think that's the view that most uh, people inside higher education have, but a lot of external stakeholders look at uh, an immediate return uh, on the investment in college education. There is a, a movement afoot to look at first-year salaries out of colleges, the fifth year out of college, and then mid-career earnings. Uh, and we in the higher education industry believe that uh, it's much more than a quantitative measurement of, of what your salary is upon completion of a college education. So those are some of the reasons the, the board endeavored to move forward with this project. Jackie, why does Nakubo need to do this work? First, um, Nakubo as an organization and our member and as a group of um, chief business officers across the nation have a reputation for being the pragmatic, practical individuals in higher education leadership that bring data and object and objectivity to the problems that Bob was discussing. So that reputation, I think, um, will hold us well throughout this project. The other um, issue is that um, we believe that as institutions of higher education, we need to take responsibility for addressing these issues. Um, if we don't, um, there will be there will be answers handed to us, and we need um, tools as chief business officers in our institutions to um, bring our leadership teams together, bring our faculty, bring our staff together to have the conversations about how do we address um, the costs, the rising costs of our institutions, um, the preponderance of programs, um, the change in pedagogy and uh, deliverables that we are being asked to provide. So um, I think we are extremely well equipped as chief business officers to address both the in intra-institutional issues as well as to uh, talk to the nation and talk to others um, in the industry about uh, the significant um, issues that we're, we're trying to address. Bob, I understand that the Cotter model for change is guiding this particular project. Can you explain what this model is? Sure. Uh, essentially, this whole project is a, is a change management initiative. Uh, so a change management framework was appropriate for us to, to guide the work. And, and it's really a change management partnership between the Kubo and our member institutions. There's a noted change management professor at Harvard Business School. His name is John Cotter. And his model for change is that any organization needs eight things 
to successfully institute change in their organization. Uh, the first is a sense of urgency. Uh, the second is a powerful guiding coalition. Third is you need to create a vision. Fourth is you need to communicate that vision. And five, you need to empower others to act on that vision. We as an association and Jackie I, and I as the team leading this project believe that those first five, uh, in this case, are the domain of Nakubo. Then six, seven, and eight need to be accomplished by uh, our individual member institutions. Nakubo is a membership or organization of uh, just shy of 2,200 colleges and universities. So six, seven, and eight need to be accomplished by them. And six is plan for and create short short-term wins around economic model change. Seven would be to consolidate improvements and produce more change. And lastly, they need to institutionalize new approaches. So this is a model that's been used uh, probably for the last uh, 20 years or so. And it, it's had success both uh, in the for-profit world, in higher education, and in the military. It's a, it's a proven model for change. And I also understand that there is both an advisory group and a working group. And I'm hoping that maybe, Bob, you can start us out talking about the advisory group, talk about what the composition of it is and, and the roles, and then, Jackie, you can do the same for working groups. The uh, advisory group we put together uh, to address uh, all of those first five parts of Cutter's movement for, for change. And uh, to do that, we needed to build a powerful guiding coalition. And this advisory committee is, is that group. It's made up of college presidents, uh, provosts or chief academic officers on college campuses, chief business officers. Um, it's made up of uh, folks external to higher education. Uh, we have folks from uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Lumina Foundation. Uh, we have a couple business people. We have Scott Patterson, who is the executive director of the National Association of State Budget Officers. Those are the unelected budget officials in each state who are responsible for state appropriations to higher education. Uh, the four presidents uh, who serve on the committee are, are Phil Hanlon from, from Dartmouth, uh, who also serves on, on the Kubo's board. Um, Devorah Lieberman, uh, the president of the University of Laverne, a private college uh, in California. Horace Mitchell, is the president of Cal State University in, in Bakersfield. And lastly, Eduardo Padron, who is the president of Miami-Dade College uh, in Miami, Florida, the largest higher education institution uh, in the United States with uh, north of 165,000 students uh, every year. And then we uh, wanted to reach out to as many different groups as, as we could. Uh, the Brookings Institution, the uh, notable think tank here in Washington. Uh, Beth Akers is a, a scholar at the Brookings Institution. She has agreed to join, uh, as has Andrew Kelly at the American Enterprise Institute, who looks at uh, innovation in higher education. And Aaron Currier from the Pew Charitable Trust uh, has agreed to serve on the advisory group as well. And she writes on the upward social economic mobility based on on education. So we're very proud of this group that we've put together. And uh, for folks that want to see all 25 members of the committee, they can uh, look at the July and August issue of Business Officer Magazine, uh, where they are listed in an article called Funding Dynamics. Fantastic. And how often will that group meet? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> We, we have been trying to get them together. Uh, we've tried three times, and 
as you can understand, getting a group of uh, 25 chief executive officers, influential leaders in higher education uh, throughout the country has, has been tough. Uh, so we're, we're shooting to do it in, in the, uh, the spring of, of 16, uh, but at this point we've been unable to get them together. Jackie will talk about uh, a great meeting that we had just this past week with the working group. Our working group um, is a much smaller group. It um, consists right now of 11 individuals. Um, they are um, also a group of ver being, bring varied roles and responsibilities and perspectives to us. Um, we included um, three or four faculty members, a number of chief business officers, a provost, and two individuals that um, consult with higher education in various um, and sundry ways and so bring perspectives from a variety of institutions whom they've worked with. Um, one of those individuals um, is also considered, um, at least in some um, corners, as a futurist. And we particularly invited uh, him to join us because we wanted to challenge ourselves to make sure that we were truly looking at um, the future of higher education and the various um, directions that higher education might be going. Um, this group, is, as Bob said, met a week or so ago, and um, we particularly brought them together for this opportunity to a, make sure that um, we expanded our higher education industry perspectives. Both Bob and I have had extensive experience um, as chief business officers in higher education. I've had a little bit of experience also um, on the uh, academic side of the enterprise in leading continuing education and um off-site distance education programs. But we wanted to make sure that we were hearing from individuals who represented types of institutions that we haven't had personal experience in, um, as well as roles um, such as full-time tenure-track faculty roles. Um, and we also included in those faculty um, some individuals who are researchers in, higher, in the higher education enterprise. So they brought that dual perspective. Um, what we asked them to do was to examine the work that we've done so far, um, both the process and the products, and to give us critique on those products, and then to help us to begin to formulate um, the next products of the project. Um, the project, um, as outlined initially, has three products. The first um, is a white paper that is basically to answer the question, uh, where are we today um, in the economic sustainability of higher education and how did we get here? The second product is a paper to look at what some possible future states might be. And then our third and most important product is something that we are um, loosely calling a discussion guide. We're we're not really happy with that term, but um, that's what it is at this point, which will be um, the document or um, maybe maybe in paper or not, but the product that will help our members have the conversations on campuses and explore options for their institutions. So we specifically asked our working group to examine um, white paper number one, as well as a paper we presented um, in New York about two months ago, 
um, in terms of whether they thought we had truly captured um, the information well and articulated it back. And then to help us look at, as I said earlier, we had a futurist with us, um, examine future states, and then um, help us to identify how we begin to formulate the message and the results of our work um, so that we get through all the noise. Um, as we know, we are seeing virtually daily um, in the public press as well as the um, industry press articles about um, issues of affordability, sustainability, and the economics of higher education. And how do we cut through that noise to have some significant impact with our product? Bob, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you're also broadening that conversation to engage members and other constituents. Megan, great question. Yeah, over the course of the last seven months, we've met with a broad range of groups. We've met with uh, chief business officers, our members, uh, specifically in constituent councils. We differentiate our membership in, in four different ways. Uh, like I said earlier, we have just shy of 2,200 members, and we differentiate our membership across four different groups. Research universities, comprehensive doctoral institutions is the second group. The third group is small colleges and universities, which have 4,000 full-time equivalent students or less. And then uh, last but not least, community colleges. So we met with uh, groups of chief business officers from each of those four constituent councils. We met with the Nakubo board. Uh, we've met with the American Council of Education during their annual meeting here in Washington in the spring. We met with two different groups of provosts, the chief academic officers on campus. Uh, we hosted a dinner for ACE fellows, uh, which are rising academic administrators and faculty members who aspire to be provosts and presidents. So the, the future of academic leadership, if you will. Uh, we met with uh, eCubo. Uh, chief business officers during their innovation summit at their annual workshop. Uh, it was an innovative uh, type of delivery session where we met with them for, for over three hours. We initially, um, uh, I'm sorry, we then met with the Big Ten uh, chief business officers, which uh, there are no longer 10 institutions <laughs> in the Big Ten. I think there's actually 14. Uh, so we, we met with them. We met with uh, a group of about 35 uh, board members at the Association of Governing Boards annual meeting out in, in Phoenix. We've met several times with uh, members of the National Association of State Budget Officers, who I mentioned briefly in, in one of the other responses that I gave to a question. Uh, they are the unelected budget officials in, in each state who advise the legislatures and the executive branches on, on how to appropriate money to higher education. We all met, also met with uh, chief information officers with EDUCAUSE, the professional association for, for CIOs. We met with dental school deans to talk about graduate medical education. We met with the National Association of uh, College Admissions Counselors, the folks uh, who do the intake of students on the, uh, on the front end. And then lastly, we did a virtual focus group where we engaged through the web with folks who couldn't participate face-to-face -face in our focus groups. We actually set up on Nakubo's website a uh, interface that they would be able to give us uh, their feedback uh, via the web. Uh, so we continued to, to reach out uh, throughout this process, but uh, Jackie spoke a little bit about faculty engagement. 
we need to engage with faculty because, as I said earlier, it's a change management initiative, uh, and faculty are central uh, to any change management initiative in, in higher education. Jackie, maybe you could tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about what you've found so far through all of these conversations. It sounds like you're going broad and having lots of these conversations. So any common themes that you're hearing already? We have. um, Surprising to some and not surprising to others, um, despite the disparity of backgrounds and um, roles that were played by the people that Bob just described in our focus groups, we really came down to five themes that seemed to overlap all of the groups. Um, There were nuances um, and perhaps relative importance um, uh, differed from group to group on some of the the subtext of the themes, but um, the five themes were certainly universal to all. Um, The first one that um, came out loud to us, not surprising, was the issue of resources. Um, Whether it was expenditures or um, investments, uh, costs or revenues, um, this was obviously a paramount concern to our groups. Um, Some of the issues that underlay that were um, tuition discounting, uh, particularly for our our small private institutions. Um, The tuition discounting study that Nakubo does on an annual basis uh, just reported again that tuition discounts are increasing and uh, virtually at 50% for some institutions now. Uh, The issue of budgeting and, and the fact that we we budget as institutions on an annual basis rather than taking a multi-year long-term kind of perspective on our excuse me on our budgeting process. Issues of philanthropy. Is the philanthropy model sustainable since everyone is going after many of the same people for the same dollars? Um, the issue of athletics. Uh, came up for, from a number of institutions. Um, not surprising, that's that's received recent coverage as well in the press. Um, affordability for students um, obviously relates to the tuition discounting issue. Research costs and the costs of unfunded research, the costs of um, limited um, indirect cost recovery was a paramount issue for our research institutions. A second issue that... Um, came up from all of our groups was the labor-intensive, or as some say, labor-expensive aspect of our organizations. Um, You know, 70 to 80 percent of our operating budgets are invested in uh, faculty and staff at our institutions. And among the dimensions um, that came up in these discussions, uh, unionization came up um, from certain institutions. Obviously, um, some institutions have uh, faculty and or staff unions. Others do not, but a, a critical concern. The issue of productivity and how do you measure um, what people are doing, uh, both faculty in terms of class instructional uh, productivity and research productivity and staff in terms of the growing numbers of support staff that we now see in uh, distance education programs, in advising, in enrollment management, and those kinds of areas. The third area that came up, probably not surprising, um, the second most costly 
um, operating area for our institutions is generally facilities. Um, so capital came up as the third area of common concern. Um, again, varied um, concerns. There's the issue of technology and trying to keep up with the ever-increasing um, capabilities of technology in meeting student and faculty expectations for maintaining currency in that area. Um, deferred maintenance. We have one institution talked about um, the number of buildings on their campus exceeding a thousand buildings and the task they have in terms of trying to maintain all of the building infrastructure systems for that number of facilities. We have issues of the facilities arms race. Um, this came up um, as part of the athletics discussion, as well as um, we see that discussion or mention of that frequently in the press about um, student recreational facilities and so forth that are being purchased. The, uh, another dimension um, that came out probably more from our business officer sides um, than some of our other constituents that we talked to is um, the issue of capacity and whether we are utilizing those brick and mortar facilities well, since many of our institutions um, have tended to schedule academic programming um, Monday through Friday, maybe Monday through Thursday, um, frequently largely during the daytime, meaning that we have uh, significant investment in facilities that's not being used currently. Um, the external environment uh, came up as a fourth um, issue, of course, um, from our pri public institutions, the issue of state divestment um, as higher education uh, tends to be one of the last um, agencies in state budgets to get funded after all of the required costs for prisons and K-12 education and so forth. Um, the general economy, um, general concern about its impact on um, endowments over the last um, decade in particular. And um, not surprisingly, the probably the paramount issue that came up um, for all of our all of the groups that we talked about talked with was um, that of leadership. And leadership um, is, is really an umbrella for a number of issues, ranging from um, institutional cultures. Um, higher education has a unique culture. Um, based in the, uh, the premises of academic freedom and shared governance, um, which lead to um, decision-making rules that are based on consensus and collaboration. Um, we, leadership also encompasses the fact that we are very complex organizations. Um, it, certainly when we get to research institutions, uh, we have large investments not only in student education and instruction, but also in um, the research enterprise. We talked about things about um, lack of vision um, and, quite frankly, concerns about whether um, we have the right people in the right places in leadership of our organizations today and whether we are developing the appropriate bench strength um, for the next round. Um, many of our institutions, uh, particularly our community colleges, are at a point where retirements are imminent. Uh, the institutions 
came about um, in the last 30 years in great numbers. And so the leaders of those organizations are at reaching retirement age. So um, all of those issues got embedded in leadership. And perhaps um, the most um, noteworthy comment or the most um, concerning comment um, under the leadership came from um, some of our CBOs um, and um, some of the other leaders institutional leaders who talked about um, concerns about institutional survival and institutional fear, um, particularly fear of no confidence votes. And um, again, how are we structured? How do we deal effectively um, as leaders with the fact that we have boards um, who have um, uh, taken actions against college presidents um, quite publicly in the last year or two? Um, and we also know that there are leaders who are being um, threatened with no confidence votes from their faculty and their staffs. Um, so leading in that kind of a structure is, can be very, very difficult. So just a few themes that emerged there. <laughs> that's, that's a weighty list there, Jackie. Well, I'm hoping uh, maybe we can close out our episode today by each of you giving us, from your perspective, what the next steps and deliverables are, and then tack on at the end, if you would, how people can stay updated on uh, this, this giant, giant and very important project. Great. Before I jump into uh, the deliverables for the project, I'd, I'd just like to... Uh, comment a little bit about the leadership. I, sure. I mentioned earlier that, that John Walder talked about the need for bold leadership. That came out uh, ac across each group. And, and Jackie talked a little bit about the, the fear. Uh, and you mentioned the complexity of our organizations. But there's, there's that requirement for bold leadership between the three leaders uh, on any college campus. That's the president, the chief academic officer, and the chief business officer. Those three leaders on a college campus need to be on the same sheet of music, and we endeavor with this project uh, to give them tools so that all three are on the same sheet of music. Mm -hmm. So the, the next steps and deliverables, so white paper number one, uh, it's releases is imminent. Uh, we hope to have it out by, by Christmas, and, and that paper will talk about um, – the current state of, of higher education. There's basically there's four questions you need to answer with any um, strategic change in an organization. You need to answer where are we, and that's what white paper number one will do. Uh, where are we as an industry? And we used uh, World War II as a starting point because that was the the start of the democratization of American higher education. And then the second strategic planning you need to answer is where do we want to go. Uh, and that's what we hope to uh, address with, with white paper number two. Jackie talked a little bit about that earlier, and, and that will be notionally titled, uh, you know, possible future uh, higher education economic models. And then the third and fourth strategic planning questions that we hope to uh, answer for our members are, how do we get there? Uh, with the discussion guide, and, and lastly, how do we know we're getting there? That's what using uh, metrics and, and measurements to determine uh, how we're getting there. So I'd, I'd like to turn it over to Jackie for, for her comments on next steps and, and deliverables. Yeah. Well, as Bob said, um, white paper number one is about done, and um, I hope that it will provide an objective and um, highly summarized account of where we are 
today um, for our, our um, constituents in particular and our members. Um, I think it's really important for us, as Bob said, to understand where we are today and how we got here um, so that we can better engage in designing the future, which is um, obviously the, the uh, goals of our next uh, products. I do want to emphasize one thing is that our products are intended to be tools um, for our members and others. Um, we are not being prescriptive in um, defining what direction we think any particular institution should take, um, but we're hoping that ideas that are being generated by um, us and by others and that are being attempted by various organizations and institutions uh, throughout the country can serve as um, ideas in gener idea generations for others in the in, in the industry. And where can people find out more and and just watch your progress as you as you move forward in this giant undertaking? Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, our primary method would be we'd hope that members would call us, uh, Bob Shea uh, and Jackie Askin at Nakubo. Uh, our respective email addresses and contact information. Uh, are on the Nakubo website. And additionally, we've just uh, started a uh, webpage on Nakubo's homepage. And if you just type in, in the search engine, Economic Models Project, it, it will take you there. And as we move forward over the course of the next year, uh, all of the deliverables that we talked about will be resident on that page. And um, we should probably put in a little bit of um, a note that we will be um, conducting a session at the annual meeting next July in Montreal and certainly look forward to having conversations with uh, members at that time. Well, uh, it sounds like you're absolutely continuing the process of receiving feedback. So we'll make sure that your email and contact information are in today's show notes so people can log online if they would like to do that. And thank you so much, Bob and Jackie, for this wealth of information. It sounds like we'll probably have you, have you back on in the future to give us an update. And you can certainly find out more about today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. And do make sure you subscribe to Nakubo in brief and iTunes so you'll get more great episodes like today's right into your podcast feed. And on behalf of Bob and Jackie and myself, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Nakubo in Brief. <laughs>